There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. 39 and single. Can someone help me out? He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. From gay to straight, black to white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. Hey, y'all. Good day to you. I hope this episode finds you healthy and happy. Thank you to my latest Patreon subscriber, Persephone W. And thank you to Mama S for raising your subscription. You too. Your stars. If you're not a subscriber and you're thinking about maybe subscribing, you can go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast for lots of extra content. This week I'll be posting video from my transfer. Or maybe just audio from my transfer since I can't see the screen from the angle I'm at during the transfer. But maybe I'll figure something out. (gasps) My God, maybe I'll put a tripod in there. I don't know if they'd let me, but that would be amazing. Maybe even show my vagina. <laughs> oh, it could be good. Anyway, you'll be the first to know what goes down on Thursday if you join the Patreon. And my transfer, yeah, it's on Thursday. I can't believe it's here, and I'm having so many confusing feelings about it. A couple weeks ago when Dr. Chung said that that she had scheduled the, the transfer and that everything was all set and that we were going to probably do it on July 2nd, I was taken aback like it had come out of nowhere. Even though, obviously, I've been working for this for, you know, a year and a half. But because of COVID and because I've been so distracted, because I didn't do an egg retrieval this round, or because I didn't have to wait for genetic testing, or because I didn't have to wait to see if the egg thawing worked, to see if any embryos were made, to see how many survived to day five and what grade they were. There was just no lead up to ease me back onto this fertility train, roller coaster, whatever it is. Anyway, it took me by surprise, and my guard was down. Initially, I got emotional, like, right away when she told me, and then I even let myself get a little bit excited, almost. But since then, I've somehow pushed that excitement down for fear of the awful disappointment I've experienced in the past. Knowing that the happier and more hopeful I feel right now, the more painful the bad news will be if I get bad news. But then I start questioning myself and my thoughts and wondering if I'm doing myself and maybe even my future baby, a disservice by not allowing myself to get excited. Am I cold? Am I cut off? Will my baby be able to make it past this protective wall that I've built up? Fuck. Like, am I fucking myself right now? But I don't know what to do. I can't I can't go all in. I can't celebrate the fact that I'm doing a transfer when the two other transfers that I did were emotionally painful for me. Oh, boy. It's hard. Here's what I wrote in my journal a few days ago. I feel like I should just acknowledge that, yes, I do have feelings about the transfer. Oh, because I think even in my journal, I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't like, um, I wasn't writing anything about it. Like if you read my journal leading in the last couple of weeks, you would have no idea that I'm about to do a transfer. Anyway, so I said, I'm not, I'm not stopping myself from feeling. I'm just sort of trying to let be whatever will be. But I think I must be feeling more than I'm realizing because I get unsettled, anxious, defensive, guarded, shut down whenever anyone tells me they're excited for me. I keep saying that I just don't want to be let down, like I'm teeter-tottering between positive and negative, trying to balance them so I don't feel too much of either, but I'm scared, scared of the two-week wait, scared of the first beta, scared of the moment my phone rings from CFP to tell me the news, the pit in my stomach I'm going to have for the last two days leading up to that. I've been through it before, over and over again. It's torture. It's trauma. I'm willingly walking into something I know hurts because there's a chance I'll get a different outcome this time, except no one really knows how likely or unlikely it would be to work. 
No one knows anything. So yeah, when anyone says, exciting, I think, ugh, really? Do you get excited to feel pain? Oh, shit. This does feel really negative. But it's not that I don't think it'll work. I'm just scared of the pain that will come if it doesn't. And then I go on to tell my journal what I'm grateful for, including my acupuncturist, my COVID test, my laundry being done. Oh, spaghetti. <laughs> and some new herbs that I bought. Oh, and pie dough that I made. So those are, those are my feelings right now. And what else? Well, I, last week and the week before, I thought I felt a small lump in my breast. Don't get worried. I wasn't super worried. I was just a bit nervous because, you know, of Shelby and, oh, just a bunch of friends who actually have breast cancer right now. So I went to my doctor the next morning and she didn't really feel it too much. So she ordered a mammogram and ultrasound. I went in for that at the end of two weeks ago and then last week I got the news that there was nothing so that's great in fact you know the doctor said I had beautiful breasts <laughs> I'm just kidding no they didn't say that uh but it's true I do I really really do and I think that's all the news I have should we move on to the guest her name's Hannah Matthews. She's a listener, and she emailed me all the way from my favorite state, Maine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never enough about you. I feel like I'm talking to either an old friend or a therapist oh. because I feel like you. I've learned so much from you, but also listening to Sperm has just been the best. Like, it's brought me so much joy and comfort. Oh my gosh. And oh, my gosh. So, thank you, thank you, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. And I'm just nosy as fuck, so I always want to hear <laughs> everything that's happening with everyone. Um, yeah, I'm chilling. I'm nine and a half weeks pregnant now. Oh, my goodness. Um, I know. Been... Are you, do you have a partner or are you single? Yes, I have a partner, mm -hmm. my husband, Will, who is just like the most incredible human being and has been already because I'm diabetic and high risk already had to be doing all the grocery shopping, like everything for the household. And now is like <laughs> doing, he's running out to buy the weird foods that I suddenly, yeah. you know, have to eat. And I'm not too nauseous for he's grocery shopping for my mom who's 70 and has lupus. He's just oh my running. Gosh the show he's working so hard so oh, well yes That's and dealing so nice. with my you know constant throwing up mood swings oh, all shit. of that so yes. <laughs> so yeah thank goodness for him and if you know all the single parents right now I mm. just feel like I want to bake them each a cake and throw them each a party and raise five hundred thousand dollars for each of them because I cannot imagine like <laughs> going through a pregnancy alone right now but also parenting alone right now yeah I just yeah can't yeah I I guess I avoid thinking about that part of stuff <laughs> well by the time you are pregnant and parenting I'm hoping we'll have a vaccine and yeah. things will be moving yeah. again yeah so were you guys trying to get pregnant we went through a period of kind of existential asking, should we do this? Mm. Um, can we do this? I wasn't sure if it was a good idea medically for me. I wasn't sure if I would be able to. And then just all the things that <laughs> make raising a kid, especially in the U.S., feel like a really bad idea. Yeah. And, you know, the climate, yeah. school shootings, like all these things that I still am like, uh, should I do this? Yeah. And just would we be good parents? You know, all the questions. And in February decided, okay, yes, let's do this. Mm. Um, it will be hard medically. It will be hard for all the reasons. It's always hard for everyone, but let's do it. So I got my IUD out in February. Oh my goodness and I know. And then I really <laughs> thought it took my mom a very long time to conceive. It took a lot of my friends a long time I was listening to sperm casts all the time and I was like, this, you know, like this will be impossible for me. Like it's impossible for everyone. And uh, because my body has been through so much also, which we'll get to, I, you know, wasn't, I thought it would be a long, hard road. And mm -hmm. then, you know, beginning of May <laughs> took a pregnancy test and was like, okay, well, <laughs> train's coming. <laughs> 
now oh we really God. are doing this. Oh so yeah, God. it's felt very fast. And I hate, you know, even complaining about pregnancy symptoms or the shock of it, because I know it's just for people who have a long, hard road. It's really difficult when people are just like, yeah, it just happened immediately. Like I don't. So I'm sorry for, I don't feel like who... that right now. I don't feel, I okay, don't feel any, but... not a single ounce of you bitch. <laughs> okay. Well, I will tell everyone who's not pregnant not to feel jealous of me specifically because I have been miserable <laughs> the yeah, whole yeah. time. So I've been nauseous every yeah. waking second, throwing up, depressed, oh, moody, my gosh. You know, well, all of it. So, And you have the added yes. layer of COVID, but also diabetes. Yes. Type 1. Type 1, which is... I guess 95% of diabetic people are type 2, and only 5% of us are type 1. So it's a much different disease, and I actually wish they would change the name because diabetes has kind of like become this catch-all for people make jokes about eating too much sugar and all these things that are kind of, yeah. So type 2 is when you develop resistance to the insulin your body makes over time, Mm -hmm. and you have to start... You have to start um, giving yourself insulin or taking an oral drug to compensate when you're going to eat carbohydrates or sugar. So type 1 diabetes is when your pancreas fails and stops working and stops producing insulin. So my body can't make insulin. Yeah. So whenever I eat anything, put anything into my mouth that has one milligram of carbohydrate in it, I have to inject myself with artificial insulin. And I have to plan everything I eat. I have to know exactly what I'm eating, how much, if I'm exercising, that can change my blood sugar needs. So I'm constantly all day giving myself insulin through a pump that Mm. has like a tube that goes there's a little needle under my skin that goes into my blood and this feeds insulin into my body. And is that little box attached to you all the time or is it just the needle that's attached? Yes. The pump oh. is, yeah, all the time. So I fill it up with insulin and it has all these controls and it, it sends me alarms if my blood sugar goes low um, wow. or high. So it's a balancing act every day, all the time. It's like this life or death situation that is like self-managed so you're responsible for living for surviving (laughs) yes Yes. yeah Jesus so and when you're pregnant it's incredibly important to keep your blood sugar in a really tight small range to avoid birth defects miscarriage stillbirth you know the risks of high or low blood sugar when you're pregnant and diabetic basically can't be overstated and it's such that like 15 or 20 years ago they were telling diabetic people not to get pregnant wow only for type one or that's a great question oh no I don't know. great now i have to go research it <laughs> i know from what i can tell they the internet seems to be grouping type one and type two diabetes together when it comes to pregnancy and so when it comes to pregnancy both seem to have the same challenges and both need to be monitored just as closely yeah, so because I'm diabetic, I have to keep my blood sugar in a really in really tight control. I have to every two weeks right now I have a three hour appointment where I have an ultrasound, an endocrinology appointment, and an OB appointment. Okay, one more time. Ultrasound, OB yeah. and endocrine. And endocrinologist, yep. Yeah. And then that's going to be once a week after I'm twenty weeks. Okay. And then at the end of my pregnancy, it's going to be twice a week. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So they're just monitoring the baby constantly. They're monitoring my heart, my kidneys, all the baby's organs, the baby's size. I guess macrosomia is a really big concern, which is when a baby is larger than normal. Mm. Um, and that can happen if your blood sugar is higher. They just, the baby's like overfed, essentially. Mm. 
Yes, exactly like she just said, but I have to do something in this show. So macrosomia is a term that describes a baby who is born much larger than average for their gestational age. Fetal macrosomia, arbitrarily defined as a birth weight of more than 4,000 grams, 8 pounds, 13 ounces, complicates more than 10% of all pregnancies in the United States. It is associated with increased risks of cesarean section and trauma to birth birth canal and the fetus. I feel like in your email you said that you just found out that you were diabetic. Did I make that up? No. So two years ago, I was 30 and I was healthy and um, I was actually working for Planned Parenthood Mm. and working in reproductive health care, which I love and feel so passionate about. In Um, what capacity were you working? Yeah. So I worked for two arms of the organization. I worked in a health center, in a clinic, um, as a healthcare associate, so okay. helping patients check in, um, helping them with their insurance and understand financial aspects of their care, counseling them, um, doing some really basic like phlebotomy and vaccines and stuff like that. Ooh. But not, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a nurse. <laughs> not a doctor. Not a nurse. But my coworkers, and then I also worked at, for the political arm of the organization, like organizing, and that's a whole other side of that. Wow. But all my coworkers were these really badass, like, nurses and midwives. So I started feeling sick and having really strange symptoms. Um, I was hungry all the time and thirsty all the time and eating and drinking, like, mad, but losing tons of weight. Whoa. And... Yeah, and I lost my period because oh. I had lost so much weight. Were you already married? Felt, no, we were dating at the time, and we were living together, Will and I. Mm. And poor Will was just <laughs> – being with me has been a real treat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he – a lot of people in my life, including him and my parents and close friends, I, in my 20s, struggled with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And actually, at that time, had lost my period as well, but that was from starving myself. Mm. Um And so now flash forward, I'm 30 and I'm losing all this weight and really looking really skeletal and weak. And, you know, I think people were kind of looking at me like, oh, okay. And I remember my mom saying, I hope you're being honest with your doctor because Mm. basically I don't trust you to be honest with me about what you're eating. And so I think people just assumed that I was starving myself and you know, causing all this weight loss myself. Did you wonder about that as well? Even No, because I was eating like 4,000 calories a day. Okay, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was starving. I couldn't stop eating and drinking and I craved sugar all the time, which I now know is part of like, I had incredibly high blood sugar because my pancreas wasn't working, but right. I didn't know. So I, I was like drinking sodas, which I never drink and eating like cake and donuts and cheesecake like I knew I was like this is not me not getting enough calories or (laughs) food like something is wrong with my body yeah so this midwife at Planned Parenthood said okay like let's you know I had lost my period and she said let's run some blood work for you and she did and immediately was like okay you need to go to an endocrinologist because I can't quite read this but something is very off and I went to an endocrinologist who was like, okay, you need to go to the hospital um, because oh my God. you could go into a diabetic coma and your blood sugar, so normal, healthy people, your blood sugar is between 90 and 120 usually, uh-huh. and my blood sugar was 578, and oh my God. it's like, <laughs> so you can go into, it's called diabetic ketoacidosis, mm-hmm. so your blood becomes acidic from all the sugar and your organs start shutting down and you can go into a coma and die. So I went to the ER and at the ER, they pumped my blood full of saline just to dilute it. So I had all this saline (laughs) running through my body and I was kind of in shock for a long time because I just, the way I was diagnosed was this like emergency situation where they just were like, okay, you're diabetic. From now on, you take insulin all day, every day. You inject yourself with a needle whenever you eat anything. Like it was just such a sudden life 
change. That's crazy. It seems like, I mean, I feel like I'd be like, no, I need a second opinion. This is, this is wrong. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And anything at the time would have been easier for me to kind of swallow. Like even, you know, it sounds horrible, but even like if there had been like a cancer diagnosis or something where they were like, okay, you'll have this surgery or we'll remove this. And then maybe, you know, you can do that. But it was like, this is for the rest of your life for the rest of your life until you die, (laughs) you have to manage this illness that you know nothing about. And, you know, the consequences, like the stakes are so high. And if you mess up, you die. And it was just like this really, yeah, it was a big shock. A complete, it's a complete life adjustment. Yes, yes. And a lot of people are diagnosed with type one when they're really young, like when they're really small children. And for them, I think in a way, you know, I don't envy them because I had this whole life, like 30 years before Mm. I was diabetic that I got to like be a kid and eat whatever I wanted and run around and be healthy. But in a way, I think it might be easier if it's been your whole life since Mm -hmm. you can remember. Mm -hmm. So I really was grieving the loss of my normal life. And I remember asking about having children and what it would mean for that. And I remember someone saying to me, like, well, have you ever seen Steel Magnolias? Which I don't know if you've seen it, but (laughs) yeah, basically it was like, if you have a baby, you will die. Um, So yeah. So that's when I kind of, we decided to get married right after I came out of the hospital, Will and I, because it was kind of just this moment of like, okay, like, here's what really matters in life. Everything is kind of simplified, clarified, you know, we're alive, we're on earth, who knows what it's going to look like. So it was kind of like the beginning of my new life that I'm in now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Did did anybody have any idea or could anybody tell you where it came from, why it didn't start when you were a kid, why it started in your 20s? Yeah, so everyone found it strange that I didn't really have a family history. Mm -hmm. And I did find out later that I guess my grandmother's sister died of type 1 diabetes, but I had Mm -hmm. no idea. But I guess with autoimmune diseases, they say your genes load the gun and then something pulls the trigger Mm. and often often they don't know what it is it can be like a really stressful event or another illness for me I kind of suspect that I did some damage to my body with my eating disorder yeah that over time may have just led to my pancreas giving up right (laughs) um you know, I've never really... talked about eating disorders on the podcast, so if you want to talk about that. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I don't think anybody's ever brought it up. But yeah. I know it's so common, but if you don't want to. No, not. that's okay. I'm an open book, um, and I think we should talk about it more. Yeah, okay, <laughs> let's I do think... it. Sure, yeah. I think the lines are really blurry. <laughs> Sorry, there's so this. many things to talk about. <laughs> no, I mean, welcome to me. Um, welcome to my medical history. Yes. I feel like every therapist I've ever had or like doctor when I've seen a new PCP has been kind of like, whoa, okay. Like, <laughs> just like typing away. Yeah. So in my 20s, I had a really traumatic divorce. So I was married before Will. And I had been with my ex-husband since I was 18. We were together almost 10 years. We were married like four and a half years. And essentially what happened is things were good. Things were normal. We were saying, I love you. We were, you know, everything was good. And he came home one day and said, I don't love you. I don't want to be married. I'm leaving today. Packed a bag and like went to a friend's house and left me. Unbelievable. I found out later he had kind of been living this double life and had met someone and was hoping to start over with her. Oh, my God. And I don't know how long that went on, but they pretty much got engaged immediately after he left me and they had kids and the whole nine yards. So, Oh, Jesus. (laughs) So that was – I just was in, like, the darkest – place and he also walked away with a lot of our money and I had to kind of 
I was scrambling to kind of, you know, survive. I was working two full-time jobs and a part-time job and all this stuff. So basically I started, I had always kind of struggled with body image and eating, which I think for people who are socialized female is kind Mm -hmm. of par for the course. Mm -hmm. And we are given so many messages from birth basically that are like, don't eat too much. Don't weigh too much. Don't be too big. Don't take up too much space. So I just, my coping mechanism for whatever reason for this trauma was to just not eat and eat very little and control what I was eating and exercising very obsessively. Right. So I ended up a friend kind of staged an intervention for me at a certain point and I ended up she drove me to a treatment center where I I never um had to do inpatient treatment or anything but mm. it was kind of therapy and then I also saw a medical doctor who would monitor my weight I had a, a team that was like therapy plus medical. But your friends staged this intervention because they noticed that you were too thin or... Yeah, and I I think I was honest with them uh. about my behaviors because I was just in this really dark place and they knew obviously everything that had happened and... But yeah, so I was able to... In your to brain, help. did you think that you had an eating disorder? That's a great question. I think I realized when I had this friend, she flew to my city from the city where she lived Mm. in another part of the country and was like, we're going to this treatment center. I'm driving you. And I think then I I realized like, oh, like people in my life kind of see this as like an emergency situation. Like I should take it seriously. Not safe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... And I also lost my period at that time, which is common. And even in like female athletes, or I shouldn't say female athletes who have, who get periods, Mm -hmm. um, it happens all the time from overexercise and overstress on your body. And so I didn't think much of it, but I did have a doctor say to me at that point, you know, if you want to get pregnant and have children in the future, you need to cut this shit out. Basically, (laughs) like this is going to like, ruin your chances of Mm -hmm. being fertile and carrying a child. So that was kind of, I had two times in my life where I had stopped getting a period and I had had medical professionals say to me, this might not be something you can do. And Mm -hmm. it, you know, whether or not I caused it, I think that was in my head. Mm. I think it still is in my head of like, (laughs) you know, I have messed up my chances, even though I am now pregnant, it's like this, I don't know, I just always had this idea of like, oh, that's for healthy people. That's not for me. I won't be able to do that. So. Well, I think I'm just thinking about like, you, I'm I'm guessing you don't blame yourself for your diabetes diagnosis. But you said earlier that that your diet earlier, your eating disorder may have contributed to it. And I did the tiniest amount of reading about diabetes right before I talked to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It didn't feel like there was any way that you could control whether or not you get it or don't get it. I know. And that's, I've had doctors say that to me because (laughs) I've said like, I caused this. And I think it's just kind of, you know, in my dark moments, Mm -hmm. I think I, I fucked up my body. I ruined my health. Like, Right. I caused this, but I, I don't think that's true, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> no, I get but it. I, think I, get it. I was just, I'm just, yeah, I was just curious about yeah. that. Yeah. I think the same way that when people miscarry or mm-hmm. have difficult births or stillbirths or birth defects, they will blame themselves, even right. if it's not medically indicated at all that yeah. they had anything, any control. I think it's the same kind of thinking of like, I control my body and I mess this up, even though that's usually not a reality. Yeah. 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 Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So you had gotten your, uh, you had discovered that you have diabetes type one. Yeah. So now you're married. Yeah. So then we decided to go ahead and try to get pregnant. And then I got pregnant and... I think that, you know, it's still very early. I'm only nine and a half weeks, but I'm, for me, it's not a secret that I'm pregnant because if something happens, A, I think we should talk about miscarriage more and Mm -hmm. all the things, like if something were to happen and we were to terminate the pregnancy, I would want to talk about it openly. Yeah. But I also am finding it to be such a lonely, isolating time in general right now that I'm kind of like, well, I'm not going to keep this a secret, right? <laughs> you know? So yeah, so I'm nine and a half weeks pregnant and we're looking at kind of staring down the barrel of this long high risk pregnancy. I have a team of five OBs who follow me through yeah. my entire pregnancy. What does that even mean? How does that happen? I have to be seen at this part of my local hospital called Maternal Fetal Medicine. Uh huh. It's so strange. They all work together to kind of like, they read all my ultrasounds and they know everything about my pregnancy. And I don't really get to choose who I see. I just go in and it's like, it's Dr. So-and-so, it's Dr. So-and-so. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay. And then probably one of them will deliver me, but it, it could be also just a totally different OB. <laughs> So it's kind of just one of these things where I really thought I, before I was diabetic, before I was diagnosed, I was like one of those people who was like, I'm going to have a midwife. I'm going to have a doula. I'm going to give birth in a beautiful, naturally lit birthing center. (laughs) I'm, you know what I mean? And now it's like, I have so many interventions happening all the time. And it's like this very clinical hospital setting every time, all the time. Which is fine. It's, you know, what my body needs. So it's what we're going to do. Yeah. (laughs) So my actual due date is January 28th, but I'm going to be induced at least one week earlier. So they won't let me go past 39 weeks for sure. And it could be earlier than that, depending on what's happening with the baby, if the baby's large or in distress or what my organs are doing. So we will see. So I'm definitely going to be either induced or have a scheduled C-section, which was also not something I envisioned for myself, but (laughs) you know, building the plane as we fly it and just hoping for a healthy baby. And what, what happens, what would happen if that wasn't the case, if, uh, if they didn't induce? So I guess, a reason they don't let diabetic pregnant people go past 39 weeks is that the risk, my risk of stillbirth is much higher than the average person. Mm -hmm. And I guess there's, I haven't really looked into it because it really scares me and makes me cry. Yeah. (laughs) But there are like many more risks of like, the baby dying during birth or like very late term stillbirth miscarriage. And also I think the bigger the baby gets, the more traumatic and difficult the birth is for everyone, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. including the baby. Um, And so that's a concern as well. And Will, my husband, healthy, like an ox is six, five and was 10 and a half pounds when he was born. (laughs) So there's like already, there's already a precedent for gigantic babies (laughs) that I'm kind of (laughs) afraid of, but I guess diabetics often their babies are not just big head to toe and tall babies, but broad across the shoulders Wow! in a way that makes vaginal birth really there can be a lot more things that go wrong. (laughs) Wow, that's so interesting. So a larger baby runs the risk of shoulder dystocia, where the anterior shoulders of the baby fail to pass the pubic symphysis, or fail to pass without manipulation. 
Now, this happened to my brother, who was like 11 and a half pounds, and there was a problem. He They couldn't get his shoulders out, so the doctor was going to break his clavicle, but eventually it all worked out. Yeah, oh so we'll God. see. Yeah. We will see what happens. <laughs> now, I don't want to make you cry. Is it okay if I look into it? No, of course. <laughs> and then please. say it on the podcast. No, please. I should be much more informed about no. all of these things. But I, when I do it, I'll say, Hannah, skip ahead 30 seconds. Hannah, don't listen. <laughs> yeah. Skip ahead to Hannah, minute 38. Stick your head in the sand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, Hannah, you can skip ahead one minute, but... I don't think you need to. I read a lot of articles about this and I couldn't get, I couldn't figure out one specific answer. So basically I'm seeing three to 6% higher chance of stillbirth with type 1 diabetic mothers. But the main study that most of these articles were referencing was a population study that took place over the course of 15 years, starting in 1998. And in that study, they said one limitation is that diabetes treatments changed dramatically over the study period and might have impacted stillbirth rates. So with the close monitoring and keeping your blood sugar levels in the right range, like they're doing now with diabetic patients, the rate, I'm sure, is much closer to that of somebody without diabetes. I'm not just saying that. I did read that in one of the many articles I read, but I can't find it now. But it did say that somewhere. Trust me. I'm not a doctor. Maybe at some point when I'm out of the first trimester and I'm feeling better physically and I'm not so emotionally, I'll be able to kind of engage with these data points more, but who knows? And you just reminded me of something, which is that there's not really data on first trimester and COVID. I know. Is it still that way? Have we gotten past that point yet? Do we, or hasn't been long enough still? I haven't seen any. I could be just missing it or avoiding it. I haven't looked, but I will now. <laughs> okay, I looked it up and I can't find anything new. I also feel like we don't have data on what happens when these kids are one year old, five right. years old, 10 years sure. old. You know what I mean? So yeah. to me, I'm like, we don't have any reliable data on COVID and pregnancy and birth and yeah. It really makes me So do you think terrified. you're going to stay sheltered in place the whole time? So I have to work on site. Uh-huh. I now work for um, the public library here, Aww. which I really love my job, um, but I can't really do it remotely. <laughs> so what do you do there? So in normal times, I run, I help run the bookmobile program Aww. where we take our bookmobile to, which is like a portable library, um, to schools and homeless shelters and retirement communities and basically cool. outreach library services for folks who can't get to the library physically. Oh, cool. Yeah, and we do story times for kiddos, and it's and really And so wonderful. not in normal times, what are you doing now at work? So now I'm going into the library and... Um, fulfilling people's requests so people are able now to come pick up materials Mm. from the library and request them and they're also returning a lot of things to the library so we're quarantining books and materials and like reorganizing them and then I'm helping find services and books and materials for people how um I'm a little off track here but I'm just curious how long are these books quarantined before you put them back into circulation So we were quarantining them for seven days, but now the results of a study just came out that said, I think only three days are necessary. Okay. I think it was specific to books that the virus can only live on covers and pages for three days. So that is good news. So we're, we're shortening our quarantine time, but I know it's so hard because it's like, what gets touched more than a library book? (laughs) (laughs) It just goes out into the community and gets touched and touched and touched and then comes back and then we all touch it and it's just like a COVID nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a chance the city could close down again, the library could close down again. I don't know. So as of right now, we're trying to figure out how to just serve patrons in a safe you know without endangering them and endangering ourselves so yeah but I'm just very I'm very scared every day because I am I do have contact with people I can control what I do but I can't control what other 
folks do. And we all kind of have to protect each other right now in ways that I think people have not been asked to do before and are right. struggling to do. Yeah. yeah. So, so other than work uh, during your pregnancy, do you think you'll just just stay home and not, you know, try to interact I'm, as little as possible? Exactly. Exactly. I'm trying really hard to, you know, I also have all these, I'm going in and out of the hospital all the time. Right. I'm going to different doctor's offices, you know, feeling every day just so scared and anxious. And I think I'm sure a lot of pregnant people are feeling this way right now. And a lot of high risk people pregnant or not. Um, it's just kind of, you're like watching everybody else kind of do more normal things. And I totally understand, especially people who live alone or, you know, need social interaction. I totally feel for everyone. It's such a hard time. And I think people should live their lives, but I'm definitely seeing a lot of kind of just acting like nothing is abnormal and we can go to bars and restaurants and parties and not wear masks. And I'm kind of like, Please don't do this. I'm, I'm questioning something that I did yesterday and wondering, and wondering if I can do it again. If this transfer works, which I don't even mm-hmm. want to think about whether or not it's going to work. I'm like right. avoiding it at all costs of just thinking about it because totally. I don't know. I totally <laughs> but, get that. But I'm realizing that like if it does work, so basically I had some of my girlfriends from my basketball team come over outside. We all wore masks the whole time. I baked a pie. It was very delicious. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. But we, we were not six feet. We were like four feet from each other and in okay. a circle, but there was somebody in the middle of this circle at the, in the picnic table right. and like, uh, there was, you know, sanitizer on the table and, uh, you know, they each had their own plate and, uh, you know, I served everybody. Yeah. So I don't know. I just don't know if like when they all left, we were all like, that was so fun. Let's do this every two yeah. weeks. And I was like, yeah. But now I'm like, was that dangerous? And could I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if I, if I get pregnant and I get COVID, right. I, I, right. I don't know what, like, should I not be putting myself at risk at all. Right. I think that is the kind of situation where you're all making decisions based on your own risk load, right? And you're like, if some of you go home to elderly grandparents or whatever it is, everyone's making the choice. This is safe. I'm choosing to do it. And I think it's more when without consent, folks are kind of you know, like getting into an elevator with me without a mask on or oh, things goodness. like that. Come on. But I, I know <laughs> I almost hit the fire alarm. <laughs> I was like, did you say anything sorry. or no? I didn't say anything because I was about to get out anyway on the next floor, but I was just kind of like, <laughs> Jesus. so upset. I was so upset. But I think, I mean, we've been seeing friends in backyards and wearing masks. And oh, you have I been. Think Yes. I mean, we, we do stay six feet apart and we keep masks on. Um, and I actually, right now I have a friend who's upset with me because I told her I couldn't hang out with her without masks on, but that's just where I, that's where my risk load is. Do you know what I mean? Like for sure. So, and I had a doctor say to me the other day, I'm four times more likely to die of COVID than a non-diabetic person. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I can wear a mask. Like that's, it's not a problem. Yeah. Yours is a double fear. Right. So, but I think also we need to see each other, right? I mean, (laughs) I need to bake pies. Exactly. I can't just bake pies for myself. I mean, you could, but it's much more, brings much more joy to share them. But I think my understanding is outdoors wearing a mask, even four feet apart, I think the risk of transmission is pretty low. And people feel free to correct me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get emails saying, like, how dare you spread this irresponsible. But that's my understanding right, right. right now. Listeners, so. you're welcome to email me about it. I don't mind. <laughs> and I'm really sorry if that's not and I know, correct. You're, that's and my... neither of us are doctors. Everyone knows that. Right. Unless, are you? Yes. Want to say again, <laughs> not a doctor, not a nurse, no medical schooling. Um, yeah, so Somebody wrote that in I an mean, iTunes review. I'm like, 
people know I'm not a doctor. I don't have to fucking that you're say not a it. Doctor? Well, like somebody was like, don't listen to what this woman's saying with the da 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 da. She's not a doctor. Like, yeah, everybody knows that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe I should sing That's... it in my my um my opening. In your intro song. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably one of those people that leaves those one star national park reviews. Yeah. Like, like too many trees. <laughs> too too beautiful. Too many rivers. <laughs> That's so Okay, so earlier I said I didn't have any new information about the effects of COVID on babies, but we do have some new information on the effects of COVID on pregnant women. This is actually from Dr. Chung, who writes on her Instagram, and this was yesterday. Follow her on Instagram, Dr. Corrine Chung. Anyway, she wrote, important new information for my patients who are pregnant or currently on their journey to becoming pregnant. A few days ago, the CDC released a report stating that pregnant women may be at increased risk of severe illness if infected with COVID-19. This was based on a study of the 8,207 cases of COVID-19 in pregnant women that have been reported to the CDC as of June 7th. Among women with COVID-19, approximately one-third, 31.5%, of pregnant women were reported to have been hospitalized compared to 5.8% of non-pregnant women. After adjusting for age, presence of underlying conditions, and race or ethnicity, pregnant women were 5.4 times more likely to be hospitalized, 1.5 times more likely to be admitted to the ICU, and 1.7 times more likely to receive mechanical ventilation. No difference in the risk of death between pregnant and non-pregnant women was found. Okay, so that's the latest from Dr. Chung and the CDC. What does that mean for me? Well, it means if I get pregnant, I'm going to have to be a hermit for nine months. And, I mean, that's the only choice, right? I can't wait until there's a vaccine. So, anyway, I don't think you should feel bad, and I think you should keep doing that if that's something that brings you joy. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe when you do the transfer, maybe they'll have different guidance for you. I don't know. Well... We'll see. Have they have they said anything? No, like just that I'm not. I'm not allowed to do the transfer if I have um, if I test positive, which I just tested negative. Oh, uh, yesterday. I've had four. Congratulations! I take, I've done four tests because of all the protesting. Wow! I do one mm-hmm. one a week. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, I don't want to spread it if I got it. Right. Yeah, I just got a negative, and so I'm now I'm not gonna go out anymore. I've seen data that says the protests are not causing spikes in yeah, positive because cases. everybody, well, at least in LA, everybody is masked and they're handing yes. masks out. Yes. Here, the protests here, it's everyone's masked except the cops <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is being lovely and respectful except the cops. But that's how, that's just how the protests have been going here. Oh my so. God. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think. And as, if you're getting tested, I think you're gravy. Yeah. All they do when I go to the doc, uh, they do a temperature on my forehead. And they mm-hmm. say, have you come into contact with anybody who's tested positive for COVID? Have you experienced any symptoms? Have you traveled anywhere in the last two weeks? I go, no, no, no. And they go, okay. And everybody's wearing masks. I was just thinking I have to get a dilated eye exam this week, and this is going to be the closest anyone is to my face. They'll be, they'll be wearing masks, though, yeah? Oops, I assume. You, I mean. you make sure they're wearing a mask, because you don't want them breathing in your eye. I know. I have to. This is like, these are the nine months of my life where I have to learn how to stand up for myself and be assertive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Before I have to stand up for my kid and be assertive, you know? Yes, Yesterday, I forgot to take my first vaginal suppository of progesterone at okay. around noon or one or whatever. And um, I did my injections at the right time, the starting ones. But I, okay. I, I didn't realize I was supposed to start the, the inserts. And I realized at midnight and I called my clinic to find out what to do. Like, should I take triple yeah. two in right now? Right. Because <laughs> you're supposed to do one at night too. Okay. So I put one in, but I'm like, oh my God, what if tomorrow they're like, you should have done two. Double, right. So I called and and I said, can I speak with the on-call nurse? And they said, we'll have to put you through to one of the, to the on-call doctor. And I was like, oh God, okay. 
they woke up Dr. Chung, and she's like, Aww. hello. <laughs> I felt so bad. Like, do I shove two of these into my vagina or no? I know. I was <laughs> like, I'm so sorry, Dr. Chung. I'm just kind of panicked, but like. That's her job. I know. But it, I know it feels so, to inconvenience anybody is my nightmare. And now I have to do it all day, every day. Yeah. But did, what was what was the answer? She did said no, not normal? a big deal. She said that the okay. vaginal suppositories, other clinics don't even do them. She just does them okay. as an added thing oh. to sort to try to keep the progesterone levels even throughout your, your day and your, your night. And um, okay. so it's, it's okay. As long as you did the injections at the right time and started, that's very important that you start at the correct time. Okay. And I did. I'm so happy that you're like back on the horse. I know it's so <laughs> like just exhausting and yeah, oof, I, it's just, crazy I, making. I just don't know what to think about it, but I don't know. So I avoid yeah. it, and then I'm like, oh, am I putting up a wall? And then I tried to write down my feelings last night or two nights ago about it, but that didn't work. <laughs> I think you'll, you'll process things as they happen, and I think I, you're like me in that you will worry about things before they happen or things that might never happen, but yeah. you can't really process something that hasn't happened and hasn't arrived. So I think you'll, you'll process emotionally as things happen. Yeah. I mean, I think you all know that I'm (laughs) not, I don't hold it back when I'm, you know, when I feel the urge to cry (laughs) or anything. Yeah. You don't repress. Yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. Which is so amazing. I mean, I had a good cry last night and it was like, you know, Aww. like it's almost like an orgasm when you're yeah. just like you let it out of your body and it feels yeah. like amazing to have a good cry. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking to me because this is helpful to me just as somebody that's in their first trimester. Just, I yeah. don't know. Not that I... Of course. Not that I'm going to be in my first trimester anytime soon. But if it does happen by some miracle, you know, yeah. it's just kind of, it's nice to know what's going on with you and what it's like. I mean, aside from your morning sickness and all the miserable yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I think we should be, I think pregnancy is like marriage and we should be more, everyone should be talking about like every aspect of it more yeah. so that you're not just under this impression that it's like sunshine and butterflies. And yeah. like, I really thought my whole life growing up, I was like, when I get pregnant, which first of all will be so easy and not complicated and just yeah. pure joy, pure, pure happiness and no other emotions. I'll just be glowing. I'll look beautiful. I'll feel <laughs> serene. I'll feel ready for motherhood. Like I'll know what I'm doing. And then it's like, wherever you go, there you are. Right. So yeah. now here I am. I'm an adult. I'm pregnant. I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You might come to that point in your pregnancy where you're just feeling great. I hope so. Yeah. I think at some point I'll feel empowered by just doing it and going through it. Um, yeah. So maybe after I give birth, I'll feel, <laughs> I'll feel like I've gotten there. I don't right. Know. We'll yeah, see. yeah, yeah. But then I'll have a baby and guess what? I don't know what to do with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so then I'll have a whole new set of problems yeah. that, you know, we'll figure out how to solve. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for talking about diabetes and thanks for talking about eating disorders. Yeah, if if people want to email me like and talk about their own experiences, I would love oh, cuz cool. I know like even I know women now who are like active in their eating disorders and, you know, pregnant or trying to get pregnant or people who are diabetic who don't know. Like it's just like such a weird opaque, you know, frightening yeah. time of Life and time to be alive right now in the yeah. world. So. Well, so where can people email you? Hannah Matthews writes at gmail.com. Okay, so we have a lot of question marks here. Hannah with an H. Yes, H-A-N-N-A-H-M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S. Okay, two T's and an S. <laughs> and an S. Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S at gmail. Okay, Hannah Matthews yes. writes at gmail. Anything else like Instagram and all that? Oh, um, people don't want to follow me on Instagram. It's very oh, yeah. boring. It's okay. all my dog. <laughs> Who I see in the background. Um, so cute. Oh, yes. <laughs>
Actually, she texted me afterwards and said if people do want to follow her boring Instagram, it is... Hannah says yes. Hannah with an H says yes on Instagram. Also, she wanted to plug a book. She said for everyone, parents or future parents or otherwise, they should buy a copy of Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram X. Kendi from a black-owned bookstore and read it to or with the kiddos and parents in their lives. It's amazing. And, of course, check out Dr. Kendi's other work, including How to Be an Anti-Racist. Well, I have not checked out Anti-Racist Baby, but I did read How to Be an Anti-Racist, and I agree, y'all should read it. It's very helpful. Anyway, thanks, Hannah. Now back to the end of our conversation. And good luck with everything. Thank you. Hope you feel the love coming down to you from Maine. Oh yeah, the good vibes. Oh, thank you so much. I love those Maine vibes. Eat some lobster for me. Do you hate lobster? Yeah, salty, salty, cold vibes. I do eat lobster, although not. I can't imagine wanting any lately. But (laughs) after I give birth, I'm going to like. Break glass, have a glass of champagne, a full lobster, get back on my anti-anxiety meds. Like, it's going to be like a buffet of all these things. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You mentioned – shit. We got to go. But you you had mentioned in your email something about anxiety. Or you just said you're oh, an anxious person. For sure. And I am not taking – I was taking Zoloft for it, which was amazing. And not taking it while I'm pregnant, even though many people – safely uh-huh. do mm-hmm. but I worry about <laughs> yeah I worry about the risk factors of taking it so because I'm anxious yeah. so I'm not but as soon as I give birth even if I'm breastfeeding I'm gonna figure out a way to go back and on just so do you went off of it after you found out you were pregnant or yes, before you started cool interesting yeah cool the day I found out I was pregnant I stopped cold turkey which is not advisable and not the way you should do it no but again, my anxiety made me do it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, well, you know, when I got, got pregnant it. last year, I had I stopped the Lexapro. I, I'm, I'm probably right. weaned off of it, but I don't remember. But I haven't felt the need to get back on it since then. Oh, so good. Maybe things will, I don't know, work better for yeah. you. Maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe all, those, all those happy baby hormones will just do the work for my brain. <laughs> That'd be great. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well thank see. you so thank much. Thank you, Molly. It's so nice to thank meet you. you. I know. You too. Okay. okay. Bye, right. Hannah. Sorry, it got cut off there. I hung up literally while I was saying the words goodbye, which was very strange and awkward. But don't worry, I texted her afterwards to apologize. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You're wonderful, and I love you. So you know what's up. Email me at spermcast at gmail.com if you have anything to say. Leave me a voicemail or text me at 323-741-1818. Yeah, that's it. If you're interested in doing a fertility consultation with me, you can email me at that same email address, spermcast at gmail.com. Maybe you're thinking about becoming a single mother by choice, but you just don't know if it's for you or not. Or maybe you're on your own fertility journey and your partner just doesn't seem to get it. Or maybe you just feel like you're complaining to your partner too much and, and you need somebody else to take it out on. I'm your girl. Maybe you're just trying to figure out what's next if this last IUI or round of IVF doesn't take. Maybe you're just over the whole fucking thing. Maybe you're not ready to share this kind of stuff with your friends or your family and you're feeling all stopped up and needing a sounding board because god you really do you need to talk about this stuff. Anyway I'm here to listen and support you and give you the confidence that you need to talk about this stuff if you decide that you want to talk about this stuff with people to give you the confidence to advocate for yourself with your doctors and to give you all the love that you deserve. Not all the love. I mean, I'm not going to make love to you. That would be weird. (laughs) But maybe fun. If you want to join the Patreon, there's lots of fun stuff up there. You can join at patreon.com forward slash spermcast. Oh, yeah, and at certain tiers on the Patreon, if you subscribe at, I think, maybe $10 or more, you get a big discount on fertility consultations. But anyway, the big fun part about this week on Patreon is that you're going to get to see my transfer or at least get to see pictures of it right away and hear audio from it or video if I can get a tripod in there, like I said earlier. What else? Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at SpermCast. And you can support the podcast with some dollars by Venmoing me at Molly-Hockey on Venmo. 
You can also share the podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, with your friends. Text somebody right now and tell them about the show. Oh, next week, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking to Reverend Dr. Stacy Edwards Dunn, who started her own organization called Fertility for Colored Girls, and she also went through her own fertility journey. I spoke with her briefly on the phone today, and we might have talked for about three or four minutes, and I burst into tears. I don't know how she did it, but she just showered me with love and I couldn't handle it. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation and I think you guys will enjoy it too. I think that might be it for the show. I can't think of anything else. Is there anything else? What did I forget? Rate, review, and subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe. Okay, thanks everyone. Love you so much. Bye. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black, white. Tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Powered by Acast. 